Hello, this is Hearst to Tell, season four. We are excited to have this next guest. Her name's Marie Andrade. She's actually my grandmother. On this episode, she's going to be sharing life experiences all the way from her childhood. And towards the end, she has some great words of wisdom to share for us. She has lots of experience and we're just so happy to have her on. Take a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Well, you said you wanted some of my wisdom thoughts. Mm -hmm. This is the one that really gets to me. Wisdom is like a marinade. First, you take what a book has said or what a teacher has said, and then you mix it with your own ideas. Then you add experience and you pour in a few buckets of tears. Add memories of a lost love, a pinch of personal humiliation, and a teaspoon of deep regrets. Mm. Add to that a cup of courage, leave it to soak for a few years, and voila, darn if you don't know that you've become so wise. <laughs> and I'll give that credit. That's Maria, that's Marianne uh, Williamson. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that before? I haven't, but I like the mix and I like the creativity. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah I like that. Yeah. Well, if it's okay, I was hoping we could start from the top. And I think what I am really excited to talk to you about is just maybe share some greatest stories of your lifetime, because I was talking to Chris about this. A lot of kids, people our age, we happen to think that what's going on in the world today is some of the worst that they've ever seen. COVID, all the stuff that's, you know, going on with George Floyd and how there's white supremacy in this country. But anyways, what I would like to talk about is just Obviously, you have a lot of wisdom to share, and I, I want to hear some stories of what you've been through as a, you know, from a kid all the way to now. There are some stories, and I think there's some shared experiences that relate to this year, to this time. I think we get more news now. It's more broadcast. It's what it makes us more aware that's what's going on, and that can be detrimental as much as informational. When I was a kid, we had we were raised where you had an Italian neighborhood, you had an Irish neighborhood, you had a, a you know a, a, a European neighborhood, a Russian. We had I was raised in a in a church in a town with 26,000 people and we had six churches. Wow. Every nationality had its own church and there was a lot of competition and a lot of uh what do I want to say uh, a lot of uh exclusion mm -hmm. from one generation to another but as there was intermarriage as one Italian married an Irish or Jewish married a Catholic or something like that started happening then people started to evolve into a more tolerant society but we still had those mean words depending on where your parents came from their background mm -hmm. i was just recently talking to my best friend she was raised her parents came from italy she said she was called every neighbor every name that she could think of in her chicago neighborhood mm. so 
in that respect, you know, there's a lot of similarities and mm-hmm. history just repeats itself. But I don't think we became so aware because you didn't have this broadcast news 24 hours a day telling you what was going on in the world. So maybe that kept you more peaceful. I don't know. The family seemed more solid. Yeah. Uh, you know, the mother was a stay-at-home and the father was the wage earner. And until the Second World War, it was rare for a woman to work. My, my cousin was one of the first uh, woman riveters in the steel mill when all her brothers went off to the service. And they had to hire women to work in the steel mill, so... So in that way, you know, I think our, the woman's place actually started to evolve. But uh, there's still a lot of similarities. And, 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 like, and world could be as cruel as you let it. Mm-hmm. I, my, I think one of the first things my, my parents taught me was sticks and stones could hurt my bones, <laughs> but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's my opinion on, on that. So... But I was raised with a real solid family with all kinds of cousins and uncles and aunts all around me. They never traveled. They stayed in the same neighborhood uh, in the same cities. We're very many miles away. And most of our travels were potlucks where we visited each other's houses and Mm -hmm. got to know your cousins. So it was a tight-knit, extended family. Someone got sick. I mean, I, I had an aunt that had a baby, and I was 13 years old. And I went over and helped her with that new baby and stayed with her for a couple of weeks until she got on her hand. That was what families did. Yeah. So, uh, but I was raised, I was the second oldest of five children, uh, four girls and one brother. Uh, right now I have a 93-year-old sister and I'm the oldest, at, uh, next oldest at 87 and my other sister is 84. So, and the two babies are gone. The two younger ones are gone. Um, but, uh, but life is good. You know, I, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, when I grew up, my father was in the steel mill mm-hmm. and it was the most, it was the one of the highest paid, uh, blue collar worker. I mean, we had TV, we had food, we had, uh, they had their own, they bought their own house. We had a good life, but everybody was in the same situation and you didn't have TV all the time telling you. What you were missing in life. Right. You looked around and your neighbors had a TV. They had a, they owned their own home. They had a garden. We were all pretty similar. Mm. Right. Yeah. How old were you when you had that TV? Do you remember? Was it high school? Or I was school? in high school. I, I think I must have been a junior in high school. Because it was real easy to have the guys come over because they knew we had a TV. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that's another thing. We weren't allowed to date until we were 17 years old. We Why were, 17? I don't know. Why 17? Well, that, we were pretty close to graduation. but uh, You'd think sweet 16 because it has a ring to it. But I don't anyways, know what it was, but my, was my father was very strict that way. So you just didn't go, didn't date. Mm-hmm. And if they had a car, you still had to walk. You couldn't, you couldn't date. But the theater, the movie theater was just maybe two miles from home, so... It worked out really good, but my parents were, that's the other thing. And you had to be home in a certain time. Curfews. Curfews. Honestly, curfews. And not 12 o'clock midnight, 10 (laughs) o'clock. As a senior in high school, 10 Mm o'clock, except for the prom. I was allowed to be out until 11 o'clock. 
Ooh, yeah, we, oh, that was a big thing. <laughs> One extra hour. And my dad out. would always be out on the swing in the porch when mm-hmm. we came home. Yeah. And he would always thank the the uh, my my male uh, friend. Thank you for bringing my daughter home. <laughs> on, on the swing in the porch. On at time. A, at on 11 time. p.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, yeah. But, you know, and life, I think the lesson I've learned in life, Christine, is that unless you're willing to accept some of the changes and adapt as best as you can and still hold your moral grounds, life is good. Mm-hmm. Life is good. And my faith has been my salvation. And my, my church has been my salvation. And I think... As I see the the younger generations leaving church because they say it's too restrictive, I wonder what goals or what guidelines they follow in life. Mm-hmm. They're good people, right? But when 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 uh, when something strikes you and you it knocks you off your feet, unless you have you're grounded in some sort of faith and hope, mm-hmm. where do you fall back on? Right. Is it your friends or a lot of times what I'm seeing is it's people that you follow on social media or on Twitter or on Facebook. You start to be grounded in some of somebody else's beliefs and that can kind of that being grounded in somebody else and not yourself can be really tricky when times get tough and it can cause you to be aware of maybe a little insecurity that that doesn't feel so good. (laughs) I'm not on Face. I don't do any of those social medias. I yeah. get it. I do emails, but there I don't do any of the other stuff. And the reason I don't is because I have better things in life to do mm-hmm. than to hear somebody else's story. But I know that everybody's opinion has merit. Everybody speaks their opinion from what's inside of them, and it has merit. And you have to be able to listen to it and accept them for what it brings to their souls. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you have to adapt your judgment to them. Right. But it makes you reflect on why you are who you are and why you believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. And and that's that builds your that builds your strength and your moral uh, your moral compass. Mm-hmm. But um, the most important thing is to be able to accept that their opinions differ than you. Think about what a boring life it would be if everybody thought the same way. You, I belong to a Catholic church. I there's there's probably dozens of opinions on when you when you when you talk to them about certain issues, whether it's political, whether whatever it is. Mm. There's different opinions, and that's what I like about my group of friends. We're able to discuss sometimes heatedly, but we're able to accept that somebody else can believe differently than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but. I think everybody's opinion has merit, whether it's it's whether you feel it is so uh, minimal in your life. I mm-hmm. think their opinion is, is should be accepted. They should be what they you know. That's just who they are, and you 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 either love them for that or you you don't accept them for closeness. Mm-hmm. My biggest saying, and Tom, your brother, really likes this, is that you like somebody because. But you love somebody, even though mm-hmm. unconditional love is really important in this world. And mm-hmm. I think we're so divided because we don't have unconditional love. 
Mm-hmm. We have love only for those who think and act like we do. And we have to stop that. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned a lot of that in my travels to other countries. Because you see mm-hmm. how they live. You see how they approach life. You see how they approach family life. You see where their moral values are. And you just accept that that's the way they are and that's the way they live. But Tell me a good example of that in another country. In another country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said you mentioned that you had seen lots of good examples from your travels. And I'm okay. just curious about one that stuck out to you. Okay, what really stands out is our trip to Egypt. We really wanted to go to Egypt to see the pyramids because we had studied them so much, my husband and I, and done so much research. So we, he scheduled a trip to Egypt. He hired um, a, uh, a, a university student in archaeology who stayed with us the whole two weeks, and he took us around to the pyramids. He drove us everywhere. It was amazing that we hardly ever saw a woman. Mm-hmm. They come out after dusk. Mm-hmm. They come out after dusk, and they wash their clothes in the Nile River after dusk. Wow. This archaeology student, of course, lived in the big cities, so he was a student. So he had a more liberal uh, ideas of what women should be, but it was still very concerning to me that he felt that women had their place and that the men were the ones to be in charge. He didn't believe in castrating women like they do in some of those countries. Mm-hmm. The most important thing that, that troubled me is when I asked him, where do these women live? Why are, why are they at the Nile River doing laundry? He said, because we don't have any homeless. And I said, that's remarkable. Where did they live? Well, they lived in uh, shattered buildings that didn't have windows. They had roofs over their head, over their head. But they didn't have windows and doors. They were all, all open. Mm-hmm. So the women, now that's not the ones that are educated. These are the ones that were during the laundry yeah. and during uh, things like that. And then when we went out to the pyramids, all these children came running towards us. And they were as cute as they could be, but they were all asking for gum. And I, I we had been warned to take some of that, you know. Yeah. But they storm you. They just come towards you. I mean, like 20 kids at one time when you're at a pyramid wanting wanting treats or money or something. And the uh, the uh, our, our guide uh, spoke something in Egyptian to them, and, and they all disappeared just as if they were really frightened. So I don't know if he told them that we had some sort of a disease or what, but they <laughs> scattered. <clears throat> but that lifestyle, and you know, we still have countries where women just don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm talking... 20 years ago, and okay. I'm sure that has changed. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you when that trip was. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. So that has changed. But I, And then when we were on the boat, when we were on the ship on the Nile, we spent a whole week on the Nile, mm-hmm. uh, just viewing the countryside and going up and down the uh, Nile. And that was really fun. And we had a nice uh, uh, nice room, and the... Uh, and the um, the captain of the ship was bearded, all white beard, in a white long gown, and he was driving the boat and didn't speak any English. But he was very, I was so sick. I came home 13 pounds lighter after wow. that trip. I, I had food poisoning. 
but uh, so did so many other people on the trip. But Dad and I traveled by ourselves with a guide. But that that impressed me the most. And in China, when we were in China, to see how uh, how jam packed they were and how women uh, had to work so hard to do things in the fields and everything, and mm-hmm. had to they had to uh, regulate how many children they had. They told us that they could only have one child at mm-hmm. that point. And that was that was thirty years ago. Yeah, they they could not have more than one child. They were penalized, and those people that lived out in the rural section, the husbands had to come into the bigger cities and work, mm-hmm. and the wives had to stay and work the farms and take care of that. Now that's all changed. That's all re- you know e- evolving now. So, do but, you remember what the penalization was? For having, what? what the penalization was for having more than one I don't kid. remember, but they said that they they that was really a strong uh, a strong message to control the population, mm-hmm. which was exploding in those times. Well, that's interesting because that was thirty years ago, and it seems like now our population's decreasing. Not a lot of people our age are getting married until they're thirty. Yeah. They're not really having that many kids anymore. And I, why do you think that is? Probably selfishness again. You're setting standards for yourself. So you have to have a house. You have to have a good job. You have to do this. You have to have a car. You have to have all this stuff before you even get married. We were married right after, right after college. We hardly knew where the next penny was coming from. Mm. But, but we knew we wanted to have a family. And I don't mean to I don't mean to be judgmental and say people are selfish. I want to say their mm-hmm. their goals are different than they were in my generation. Right, I didn't take it that yeah, way. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean to say that you're really selfish. Your goals are self-centered mm-hmm. more than we let them be. Yeah. And I don't blame you. You worked hard to get your degrees, you worked hard to get your jobs, you worked hard to get your house, you worked hard to get your furniture, you get hard to, you know, pay off your bills. That's all commendable, mm-hmm. but I think that that you know. But we still, I still have friends that have five and six kids. Mm-hmm. They're your your age. Yeah, yeah. We have a new family that just joined us. He's a Navy captain. They have six kids. Mm. I think the oldest is nine years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but they they chose <clears throat> to have that big family. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I think it's more expensive now. To raise kids than it was in our time. Definitely. And, you know, if you want your children to go to college and things like that, you have to plan for that. But I think it's more expensive. And, again, it's your priorities in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, our kids couldn't drive cars until they could pay for their insurance. And they oh. got jobs when they were 16 years old so that they could have a car. So Was car insurance... Ten dollars back then. Twenty. Oh no, your your brothers had to pay like twelve hundred. Michelle was the oh, cheapest. Wow. Yeah, and the boys were always higher than the girls, and Michelle was the only one that had the accidents. <laughs> <laughs> Even after her accident, she was less. <laughs> she was still than less than the boys. That that griped her brothers. <laughs> That's so funny. I think Chris's insurance is higher than mine too. So oh, is it? It depends. Changed. Now it depends on what kind of car you drive too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, I think females have it a little <laughs> easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something that you were saying about how I think 
priorities have shifted. And I wonder if that has anything to do with the ability to have technology at your fingertips <clears throat> to share your story every day to be able to type whatever you want for the world to see and <clears throat> to see what the rest of the world is doing. And the reason I'm saying this is because I I was born in 1990 and I'm a millennial. So I was born and I didn't have a cell phone, but my parents had what are those phones called? <laughs> a cordless phone. Yeah, the cordless landline. A, land a cordless land, landline. Oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I couldn't even remember <laughs> what that was called. Well, but, I remember a party phone. What's a party phone? You There were like four families on one phone. So if you picked it up and somebody was talking on it, you had to hang up until that line oh, was open. Did you ever eavesdrop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> did I you hear what that. Sally and Betty did? And you knew somebody was eavesdropping on you, too. But, oh, wow. But kids didn't, get, <clears throat> didn't spend a lot of time on phones. We didn't mm. spend a lot of time on phones. I'm trying to think what we did for activities. We went to dances and saw cops and stuff like that, but we really studied hard, too, mm. uh, because we, we knew that our parents pushed us to go to college. I, I'm the first one to go to college in my family. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're a middle child? I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Yeah. Okay. Well. And I'm the only one that completed. All the others backed out. But uh, our parents pushed us to do something better than they had mm. accomplished in life. So, And you know, someone asked me if we pushed our kids to go to college. I don't remember ever saying you have to go to college. They just took it as a given that they mm. had to go on. We did too. Yeah. I don't think anybody pushed us. It just was the next step. There yeah, wasn't yeah. really but, another option. And that wasn't when I was growing up. I mean, as soon as you graduated, because of the big families, there were five in our family. Our neighbors always had eight, 12, 12 kids. As soon as you were out of high school, if, if you were even able to graduate from high school, you got a job and you moved out because mm. the parents couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. And remember, Social Security just came in. Right. Uh, what year Roosevelt, was that? That was Roosevelt. I'm trying. I, I, that had to be in the 40s. But before that, the parents counted on their kids to help support them in their old age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so. Right. Well, we were talking about phones, and I got a little sidetracked. But when I was growing up, we had the landline. And then I got my first cell phone when I was... 14, I think, 7th or 8th grade, and it was one of those flip phones. Yeah. So it was 20... I still have one of those. Those were neat. Uh-huh. The flip, and yeah, you, yeah. like, flipped it to be cool, and the harder you flipped it, <laughs> put it on your ear, the cooler you were, so that was kind of fun. And then the BlackBerry was the cool phone with the tiny, tiny buttons that you held in yeah, your hand yeah. and you pressed that, and now everybody has a smartphone. But anyways, uh, what's interesting to me with the whole molding of the priorities per generation is that we went from before cell phones, you really had to call somebody to figure out how they were doing in life and what they were working on and what their biggest accomplishment was. But now you can see anything that you want if you just Google it. And you can also see what everybody else you know, in the world, if you were friends with everybody in the world, in theory, you could see what they were all posting and talking about and doing. 
which what's is really important interesting. in their life. What's important in their life right now, you mean? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you really have a, a crazy shift from only having specific information that you're seeking to having all information here for you on this one <clears throat> piece of device, this, this cell phone through social media. So I'm wondering if people's priorities are shifting because, you know, we went from a culture of being really intimate and having conversations to just having to maybe being a little more surface level and posting about each other's lives every day and seeing what you post on your life every day rather than me just call, you yeah. know, giving you a call on the phone. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to talk through this and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Well, first of all, I don't get on social media. But Do second, you know what Facebook is? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't because I, I just think uh, you can get wrapped up into that and, and it just, you know, you have too much sorting out to do and then you... And then you have somebody that's having a bad day and they, they unload on you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to be able to shoulder all that. And at this age, I'm dealing with my own, uh, my own uh, you know, uh, what I want to say, limitations, uh, physical limitations. And I don't, I keep stuff like that out of my life. I don't want, you know, somebody needs to unload on me. Okay, one time. But don't keep unloading on me. I don't have the energy anymore. I'll pray for you, but I don't want to <laughs> listen to you. Mm. So, but back to the, and I, and all my friends, I, your friends become the ones that, you know, nurture you that way too. And they're, they're pleasant to be around. Granted, if they have their days, that's okay too. They can be cranky, but, uh, but back to social media and having that affect me in some way. No. Uh, and that's why I don't watch so much of the news either. You know, the last year with all the all the tremendous negative news. I mean, that can really drain you. And then you don't know what's true and what's not true. Mm. That's the big issue. And then you don't know what's provocative and what's really the real true issue. Factual. You don't know if somebody's just trying to rile you up or really give you the true information. So I think uh, in that way, I think uh, I miss I miss a good news uh, channel where you hear what's going on in the world without somebody uh, elaborating and what do I say analysis exaggerating and analysis paralysis I mean you get about 10 opinions for something you just heard and you understand what you heard and they're telling you what they how they heard it mm -hmm. so I'm 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 above that now and I think it's because of my age I'm not interested and I'm not that busy think about all the time I have if I wanted to do that but I feel that drains us when we get too much negativity in our life. And I think, you know, you're going to have some bad days, but I think you have to learn to be grateful when you're good and graceful when you're not. Grateful and graceful. Grateful and graceful. And I think your whole life has to, you have to have the attitude of gratitude because otherwise negativity will just eat your heart out. Mm. And as you have that attitude of gratitude my soul is on its knees all all day long i look at a beautiful hibiscus that you just bought me my soul is on the knee when i see that god created that for me to see mm -hmm. uh but back to uh i i i think we just get bombarded what do i want to say yeah bombarded bombarded, bombarded. <laughs> with too much negativity now and it's just better not to I mean, you. We have choices now. 
We have choices what kind of movies we want to see. We have choices mm -hmm. of what church we want to go to. We have choices of how we want to, how we want, what kind of car we want to buy. Mm -hmm. Think about all the choices we have. You go to a grocery store. You're in Europe and you go to a grocery store like in Russia or in China. Nothing like what we have. No, we have so many options here, mm -hmm. but we have choices. And you, you, you make your choices to keep yourself positive. That's a great message. And I think also you set a boundary for yourself because you recognize that watching the news and getting roped in to some of those negative conversations and negative updates, it can ha take a toll on your soul. So you made a choice to cut it out. That's right. Which is setting a boundary for yourself. You, and you stay away from people that drag you down. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody, and, and, and it's true, when you have somebody that's really having a problem and you, you need to listen to them, mm -hmm. you have to also, you know, pull them in with one hand and push them with the other mm -hmm. because you, it'll drain you. My mother taught me that. My mother, and she's been gone 40-some years. Mm -hmm. My mother taught me that. She said, don't in life, don't let anybody drain your spirit. And sticks and stones will hurt your bones, but words will never hurt you. She, she preached that to us all the time. And it was interesting because she'd always say, you know, I'd say, oh, I want something. And she'd say, pray for it. God has to hear you pray for it. My dad would come by and he'd say, God helps those that help themselves. If you really want it, get a job and save money for it. Mm, there you go. <laughs> but she was she believed in the power of prayer. She was a very wonderful woman. She went to daily mass even though she had five kids. She had to walk a good half mile, <clears throat> yeah, to daily mass, yeah. But it was it was good. So, but anyway, life is good, and I think life is as good as you make it. Mm -hmm. Life is as good as you make it. You have the power within yourself to make your life what you want it to be. There is a saying, and I, I think one of my priest friends said, he, he thought he attributed it to St. Augustine, I don't know. But there's such a thing as says, God's light surrounds me. God's love enfolds me. God's um, presence watches over me. God's power protects me. Wherever I am, God is. And you hold on to that, and you make yourself as happy as you want to be in life. That's great. I, I think that message is really all-encompassing of, of everything we've talked about and all the advice of wisdom. And, yeah, that's something that I, think I really you, appreciate. I think you experienced in our life that we love to laugh. Our family loves to laugh. You either tease somebody until they laugh or you just laugh over a silly joke or something. But we love to laugh. And I think that's important. A good hearty laugh, is, is it, it just lightens up your soul. Don't take life too seriously. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I have this on my refrigerator door. Can I share this? Sure. Well, actually, before you do, I think this might be a good segue into one small thing. So okay. whenever... Whenever I, I interview people, I say, what's one small thing we can do or we can think to, or say even to make the world a better place? And I feel like this might be a good yeah, one. Yeah, okay. 
All right, go for it. Okay. And this is, I have this on my refrigerator door, and I think it's as old as you are, Christine. In this house, we do second chances. We do grace. We do real. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry. We do loud very well. We do hugs. We do family. We do love. I like the last one. And, and I also say no we... bitching in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's real advice. Well, my biggest takeaway is which I'm so glad that you shared is gratitude, really setting good boundaries for yourself and understanding who you are and understanding where you want to go and any any last words of advice for a good and healthy life? I just think you have to set your own goals. My goal was always to be healthy. My goal was always to keep those loved ones close to me and to raise a family that was loving, even though they're different in each ways, but to make sure that they were loving uh, and to look after each other. Uh, my goal in life is, I, I've addressed every goal I think I've ever had. I graduated from college, which was a goal that I never thought I would be able to do. I married a man that wanted to travel, which I never was raised to travel. So I got that. Tra uh, I thought I was a pretty good cook, but I don't cook anymore. So. <laughs> we made snickerdoodle cookies. Those were amazing. I did. We had fun making had fun. snickerdoodles. But, you know... And as I said, there was a saying that I used to have for my husband, and I think everybody needs to say that because it's, it's a realism. It's a realism. I love you more today than yesterday because yesterday you got on my nerves. <laughs> there you go, saying it straight up. <laughs> yeah, so. What else are you most proud of? Pardon? What else are you most proud of? In your life. Oh, I'm proud of my family and my grandchildren. And I'm so proud of that. I'm, my heart is overwhelmed and I see, and not because of your successes, but just about the people that you've become. The loving people, how you survived some strong problems in your lives, but how you've come through to be such loving and graceful people. Mm -hmm. And especially you, Christy, my beautiful Christy. Well, I learned from the best, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, I feel I've been God's ready room. Mm -hmm. If I died today, I'm more grateful than I ever was for the life that I've had and, and the grace that God gave me to handle what I had, to, what came my way. Uh, I've had a good life. I've had a better life than I ever anticipated. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you did bring on the wisdom, that's for sure. <laughs> I say, I wish I, I wish I was as smart when I was your age. I think you have all the wisdom in the world. I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with well, me and with everybody. I, I, I appreciate that you even wanted my advice. <laughs> well, this is season four, episode one of Hers to Tell. That's a wrap, everybody. Take care.